You are listening to the Grace Church Podcast. To learn more about grace, including our gathering times, visit us online at thegracechurch.net. Today's sermon comes from Pastor Tommy Jones. So, all right, let, let me just sort of talk you guys through something. Last week, we learned a rhythm for reading the Bible. Um, does anyone remember said rhythm? Yes. Okay, so remember it was like them, him, we, me. And last week, and last week I, did some, um, I did some things to get you guys to remember that. And honestly, I did some things I wasn't proud of. I played the piano. Um, I, I sort of pretended to sing. It was, it was lowbrow comedy at best. It was lowbrow comedy. And so I spent a lot of time reflecting on the um, essence of Grace Church, and I thought about how deep and sophisticated we really are. And so, a lot, matter of fact, a lot of people call East End a little, a little New York City. And so I thought about, <laughs> I thought a lot, just I thought maybe I could have done something with more depth, with more panache, with more, um, I don't, those are the two words I know, but like I could have done, I could have done something deeper to communicate the point, so... If you guys will, I've actually, uh, I'm going to bring in a professional actor to, to reiterate this amazing point. So just hold tight, hold tight. This is good. This is good. Them. Him. We. Moi. Thank you. Thank you very much. These are the things I do to make points stick. Uh, every time I do something stupid like that, I'm always like, someone brought their fundamentalist grandpa to church today. And right now he's like, and he just left. He's like, Mm-mm. I knew they were weird. I told you. I told you they were weird. Them, him, we, me. Yes, look at the, oh, the rhythmic room. People will say that's the most rhythmic congregation in the world one day. <laughs> this is our approach to scripture study. Remember, we, could, can you open the word and God, can you flip through, play Protestant bingo, point something? Yes. But I believe there's a responsible way to approach Bible study. And he, guys, he, here's one of the reasons this is so important to me, one of the reasons I'm willing to be an idiot to get this point to stick. Because I believe there may be a day when we're not allowed to gather in rooms like this. And so we must be prepared to read and understand the Bible. And, and so we must learn how to responsibly read the Bible and how to responsibly go through this. And last week, with Philemon or Philemon or Philemon or Philly, what, Philly cheese, whatever, we had it easy. This week, it's going to be more difficult. This week, we're talking about Jude. And this is a tough... Matter of fact, mo, raise your hand if you read Jude. 
Liars, no one's ever read it. No one's ever read this book. Uh, you can't wait to get to Revelation so you can talk about all this stuff. But no, you just skip right over poor little Jude. He's just sitting there going, read me. And no one reads it. And so we are going to uh, dissect this, to go through this today, and we're going to do it uh, in a way that we believe is responsible. We're going to do it them, him, we, me. And so remember them, if you weren't here last week, which some of you weren't because there's twice as many people here. I guess you got your deer. So, <laughs> so, uh, so them is, like, is, is, is culture, context, characters. When, when we first come to the Bible, we, do, we immerse ourselves in their world. Although this letter was written for us, it was not written to us. And so to fully understand what's going on, we need to understand how did the people think back then. And so we start with them, we, we immerse ourselves in their world. And then him. Him is this. Like one of the main reasons to read scripture. Guys, this is the breath of God on a page. This is the heart of God, the mind of God. And so as we approach scripture, God is revealing his heart to you. And so the second thing we look for is them. Or him, excuse me, like, what does this passage tell me about the heart and the mind of God? So we go them and him, and then we look at we. Is there a word for the church? I'm still not to me yet, because we are learning to put ourselves last. We must decrease so that this thing can increase. And so is there a word for us as the American church? We're reading, this letter wasn't written recently, okay? This didn't come from the Wall Street Journal. This was written a long time ago. But is there a word for us today? And then finally, when we've done those things, God, is there a word for me? Just, just a private, personal word between me and you. A word to correct, a word to rebuke, a word to encourage, uh, an experience. Because reading the Bible, it's not just a, it's not an effort, it's an experience. God, is there something you want me to experience through this with you? But we do this in a way that is responsible. And so that's what we're going to do with Jude. If you got your Bible, open it up. I see some of you brought them. Amen. Great. If you didn't, man, bring one. We can get you one if you don't have one. Uh, you can use your phone or, you know, whatever. Um, or you can use the screen. Uh, Philemon, one of the reasons it was easier than this was because Philemon was written by Paul. And Paul was the apostle to the Gentiles. And so Paul's, like, great calling in life was to bring... By the way, raise your hand if you're a Gentile. This is a far more diverse church than I knew. That's good. There's a tremendous Jewish population here. I didn't see that coming. But um, Paul's, Paul's thing in life was to bring the gospel to the Gentiles. And so that's what he's doing. Jude, what we're going to read today, Jude had a different calling in life. Jude is a Jewish man writing to a Jewish body of believers. Uh, a quick note about Jude. His name is not Jude. His name is Judah. Somewhere along the lines, it got translated to Jude, uh, so we can call him Jude. I guess it was a nickname or something, but his name is Judah. And there's a super interesting fact that you need to know about this guy. Does anyone happen to know what may be the most interesting fact about Jude or Judah? One of Jesus' brothers. That's right. He, he, was, he was the half-brother of Jesus. So Jesus has four half-brothers, we believe. Uh, those brothers, according, this is according to Matthew chapter 13, James, Joseph, Simon, and Judah. These are the half-brothers of Jesus. Why are they half-brothers? Because Jesus did not have an earthly father, right? His father was God, and, and he, was, he was born by, through a virgin, the Holy Spirit. But later on, there were more kids that came along. And so these are Jesus' brothers, we believe. And something interesting that we know when we read the Bible is when Jesus was alive and walking the earth before he was crucified, all of his brothers thought he was crazy. 
You can read about this in the book of Mark. All of his brothers thought he again, How many of you have siblings? Raise your hand. Just go ahead. How many of you guys? Imagine this. Imagine one day your sibling comes to you and says, hey, I've got good news and bad news. The bad news is this. I'm your master. <laughs> the good news is I was born of a virgin and I'm the king of the world. How would you respond if you're Jeff? My brother Jeff tried that. <laughs> Those of you who know him. But, I mean, how would you respond to that? I mean, what would it, what would it take for you to believe that your sibling was one with God and the Savior of the world? What would it take? I can answer that for you. It would take him dying on a cross and three days later resurrecting from the grave. Because something happens later on where now all of his brothers believe. As a matter of fact, James writes a letter too. Jude writes a letter. James writes a letter. And so his brothers came to believe. And in Jude verse 1, you don't need a chapter for Jude. There's only one chapter. But in Jude verse 1, listen to the humility of this opening statement. It says, Jude, uh, a bond servant of Jesus Christ and the brother of James. To those who are the called, beloved in God, oh, we're going to come back to that, beloved in God the Father, and kept for Jesus Christ. Keep that up there for me if you don't mind. Okay, so Jude, he's Jesus' brother. Let me ask you this. If you showed up to a party full of Christians and you were Jesus' brother, how would you introduce yourself? Hey, guys, I'm Jesus' brother. <laughs> Wouldn't you? I mean, because that's it. But he's so humble, and he's encountered such a life-changing experience that he doesn't even refer to Jesus as his brother. He refers to him as his master. I'm a servant. I am but a servant. A bond servant, which was a servant who had been bought and paid for. I'm a servant. I'm a brother of James, but I'm a servant of Jesus. And then he tells, he's, he's writing to the called or the beloved, which is the Hebrews, the Jewish nation. That's who he's writing to. He tells you that right there. But the humility in this is amazing. And, and, and let, let, let's jump into this and let's start with them. Okay, here's some background, some context we need to understand because my hope is I'm going to give you some information. You're then going to go home and really read this and you have time. It is, I think, like 27 verses. You have time to read this. As a matter of fact, you could skip the Razorback game next week and spend that time reading this and be exponentially happier. So here's some things you need to know. Jude uh, is a Jewish man writing to a Jewish audience. He is gonna, he's going to say a lot of very strange things. And he's doing that because he is quoting books you have never read. He's, quoting, he's not just quoting from Scripture, of which he's quoting 2 Peter a lot. Uh, 2 Peter was another letter written from a Jewish person to Jewish people. And 2 Peter sort of uh, says things that are going to happen in the future. And then 13 times Jude quotes 2 Peter saying what Peter said is actually happening. So he's going to quote 2 Peter. But he's also going to quote books like the book of Enoch, which was an important book to Jewish people, but it wasn't sacred. It wasn't biblical. He's going to quote the Assumption of Moses, which is an, uh, another important book, but it's not biblical. And that's okay. Because, you know, sometimes I might quote C.S. Lewis or, or some famous theologian. That's not like quoting the Bible, but it doesn't mean it's not important. And so Jude is going to quote some things that seem to not make a lot of sense to us. So understand that. He is writing to Jews. He is a Jew. That is, he's using language you won't understand. So as you read this, give yourself a tremendous amount of grace, okay? 
But even with those things, even knowing this is a Jewish man writing to a Jewish people, we still believe that all Scripture is God-breathed and useful. And all Scripture has a place for encouraging or rebuking or correcting. So can we still get a message from God for us through this? And the answer is absolutely. Let's look at him. What does this book tell us about the heart of God? And this is the part that I couldn't wait to share with you guys today. Jude 1. We're going to go back to that same verse. Jude, a bondservant of Jesus Christ and the brother of James, to those who are the called, beloved in God. By the way, let's just hold on for just a second. Beloved. Beloved. The loved. The loved ones. Um, I, I just, that alone is the heart of the Father for his people. When Christ refers to you, he calls you love. He calls you my love. How many of you made bad decisions this week? Just raise your hand. It's okay. Okay. And you, you, know, you know what he said when you arrived in this place today? Welcome, my love. How cool is that? How cool is it that even on our worst days, he's calling us loved? Man, you all remember the story of Jesus' baptism? If you don't, go read it. It's in Matthew. Before Jesus had ever done anything, God said, you are my son of whom I am well pleased. No matter where you've been or what you've done, God loves you, wants you, and is pursuing you. Right there, the heart of the Father. But let's read the rest of it. Jude, a bondservant of Jesus Christ and brother of James, to those who are the called, beloved in God the Father, and kept for Jesus Christ. Here's the part I'm going to hit. May mercy, peace, and love be multiplied unto you. Oh, keep that up there for me. Verse 2. May mercy, peace, and love be multiplied unto you. Guys, I, I talk to a lot of people, and, and often people base whether or not they're blessed on things of this world. Right? I'm blessed. Well, how do you know? Because I've got money in the bank. Right? I've got a, I've got a car. Um, I've got my family's okay. You know, I've got loved ones around me. You, every Hallmark movie you're going to watch will be they're blessed because they've got their friends and their family, and they fell in this crazy relationship with a baker, and it's the same story every time. But that's, that's <laughs> it's a whole different. I'm not going into all that right now. We'll make fun of Hallmark next week. But... Um, the blessings you have that matter are not blessings you can get in this world. Mercy and peace and love, these are the blessings of the Father that he wants to multiply in you and through you. The, the, these are the things that we're excited about. Mercy, mercy that God has given us mercy. Guys, when's the last time you stopped and reflected on how good the mercy of God is? Listen, listen mercy is used... Nine, 78 times in the New Testament. The word mercy is used 78 times in the New Testament. When Paul describes the church, do you know what he calls those who belong to Christ? You know what Paul calls us? Listen to this. Objects of mercy. Oh, how gorgeous is that? That we would be the objects of God's mercy. And listen, don't get it. When God sees you, he knows your sin. It's not mercy if he doesn't know your sin. He knows it. He's aware of it. He sees it. Yet he still loves you. You are fully known and fully loved because God is fully merciful. But the beauty of God's mercy is even while he's fully merciful, he's fully righteous. Even while he's full of mercy, he's, he's still going to be the, the righteous judge. His mercy does not negate his holiness. You, are, you and I, we're either being merciful or judgmental. God is the fullness of both all the time. We learn about the character and the heart of God. That God, and merciful is not what he does. Mercy is what he is. Do you understand the difference in that? It's not just something he occasionally, mercy is who he is. Then, then it says peace. Peace. The word peace is used 91 times in the New Testament. 
peace. That the God who is merciful is also the Prince of Peace. And what does he want for you? Peace. Let me ask you guys a question. How many people, if they were to watch a movie, a movie of your life since 2019, would title the movie of your life Peace? Not many. Not many. Why are we so quick to give up our birthright? When you were born into the kingdom, you were born into, a, into the Prince of Peace. You are sons and daughters of peace. You have a peace in you that you must claim that you must receive, that you must believe. Hey, listen, uh, many of you know this, and we are so thankful. So many of you have reached out. On Thursday morning early, my wife's, my wife's uh, dad passed away. He was at deer camp. It was unexpected. And I'm, I'm laying in bed next to Christy when our son comes in and shares the news. And do you know what I saw on my wife? Peace. She knew her father. She knew where he was. And my wife had spent Year after year after year, studying the Bible, preparing her heart for a moment like that. And so when the moment came, what I saw from her, I saw pain and I saw, I saw hurt. I saw mourning. But I saw a peace that made no sense to the rest of the world. I saw peace. Peace that's available for you. Peace that's available for me. And we give it away so freely. And every time the world, it's, it's like we're, we're like high school kids running towards a fight. Because the whole world is running, and so we're just running too. Listen, when the world is running towards chaos, we must be the coolest people on the boat. Because in us, there is peace. In us, there is peace that makes no sense. And I'm not saying you're not going to hurt. I'm not saying you're not going to have pain, because Christ said in this world you will have trouble. But I'm saying in the midst of the trouble, in the midst of the storm, don't forget who can calm the seas. And don't forget that this is not our failing. Be multiplied in peace. The final thing he says is love. Love. God, th this is the good news, okay? God loves you. God loves you. God loves you. He loves you so much. God loves you. And he, on your greatest day, he loves you as much as he loves you on his worst day because he is love. It is what he does. Now, don't get it confused. That doesn't mean God's mushy and, and, you know, malleable and he can be bent. No, his love is always just and his love is always righteous and his love is always holy. And even when God is correcting you, he is loving you because that's who he is. God is love. And if Christ is in you, then you must be loving too. This is like, honestly, it's, it's Christianity 101. It, you can have the whole Bible memorized, and if you are mean to people, then you have missed the point of what we exist to do. Love people. We love God by loving people. And right now you're thinking, well, what about them? Yes, them. You're the them to somebody. I'm probably not. Yeah, I am. Love. Love. I don't know how much more Jesus church stuff we can get than this. But until we get better at it, we should probably keep saying it. Love them. All right, so, so the, those are some things we can see about the, the heart of God. And, and you can, you're going to read Jude, and you can, you're going to find 5,000 other things. Let's go to we. What about we? God, is there a word for the church from this book? Verse 3. Beloved. I'm not going to get very far in this book, by the way. Beloved, while I was making every... So this is Jude, 
writing the letter to the church. So he says, while I, Jude, was making every effort to write you about our common salvation, I felt the necessity to write to you appealing that you contend earnestly for the faith that was once and for all time handed down to the saints. I, 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 contend for the faith that was once and for all time handed down to the saints. Jude knew what you know, that there will be a push and a pull in this world to separate us from the core truth of Jesus Christ. That there will be a pull in this world to get us to move further and further away from this whole Jesus is the only way thing. And you're seeing this now. You're seeing this in churches, and guys, I'm not a doomsday person. That's not my, y'all know that's not my thing. But I believe as we continue down this road, the church, many people inside the church will move further and further from, further from saying that Christ is the only way. Guys, you got to hear me on this. Contend for that faith. We can debate over all sorts of other things because I don't know what they'll make. We can argue about communion or baptism, blah, 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 whatever. But it is through faith alone and grace alone. It is Christ alone. Those are the only things we have. It, it is Christ alone. He is the only way to the Father. He is the way. He is the truth. He is the life. And to tell the world there is some other way is not loving. It is cruel. He is the only way to life and the only way to eternity is through Jesus Christ. And we can never, ever yield on this. This must be our hearts. But there's a pull in there. Y'all know it. Y'all see it out there. There's a pull to say, well, what about this? No, 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 no. Christ alone. Christ alone. Guys, don't, don't, don't let the world pull, pull you off that. Don't let the world back us down on that. They're going to keep pushing and pulling. And we must contend for the truth of our faith. To water down the gospel is not an effective way. To just simply play church and never really fall in love and give your life to Jesus is not the way. He is the only way to experience real life. The third, let's, let's uh, I, oh, there's another one for us. There's, I think this is good too. It's verse four. Gosh, I'm really not making it far at all. Verse four. It says, for certain people have crept in unnoticed, those who were long beforehand marked out for his condemnation. There's so much in this statement. Good, why did I pay? Uh, so much in this? Ungodly persons who turn the grace of our God into indecent behavior and deny our only master and Lord Jesus Christ. Okay, guys, that, that is a packed statement, and I'm not going to break down the whole thing because we don't have time. I encourage you to grab some commentaries and, and go through that. But the rest of this letter is sort of about how angels will turn away and how people will turn away, and, and, and he's going to talk about false prophets. People who will come as pastors and deceive the church. Uh, people who will come with a message that seems pleasing, with a message that, that, that everybody likes, but they are deceivers and they will rob you. And so, guys, I, I want to remind you right now. Pay attention to who you're listening to. Pay attention to them. Pa pa pay attention to, to what they're saying. And if, a, if pastors are being used as a political tool... If 90% of who you're listening to is a message about politics and who you should and should not vote for, run the other way because that pastor has become a pawn in a political system. Be careful of those things. Be careful of those. Guys, we are entering a political season. Gross. So sick of it. And just disgusting. And some of us are so passionate. But be careful because there are people out there who want to manipulate you simply to get your vote 
That's not Christianity. That's not Christianity. And be careful of pastors who say all roads lead to Rome, run the other direction, because that is not a road you want to be on. Be careful. And be careful of, of pastors and people who simply froth at the mouth every time they talk about hell. I worry about those folks. Be careful who you're allowing to speak into your heart. And so what's the church to do? What are we to do? This is, this is, what are we to do? It's a difficult world. There's all sorts of uh, conflicting ideas, and, and we know we need to hold tight to the truth. So how do we as the church do this? And Jude puts this so well in verse 20, and he says this. But you, beloved, building yourselves up on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, looking forward to the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to eternal life, and have mercy on some who are doubting. Save others, snatching them out of the fire, and on some have mercy with fear, hating even the garment polluted by the flesh. That's a lot, man. What are we to do? What are we to do? The first thing we are to do is this, build ourselves up in the faith. How do you build yourself up in the faith? This is it right here. I've, I wrote a song. It says this. It's the B-I-B-L-E. <laughs> yes, that's the book for me. I stand upon the word of God, the B-I-B-L-E. Um, you're welcome to sing that somewhere else. But read the Bible. I mean, I, I, again, y'all are like, okay, I came to church and the pastor told me to read the Bible. Are you reading it? Perhaps I should keep saying it. I mean, the, how, how do you know truth if truth isn't written on your heart? Guys, you understand, like, we see this as effort. Again, this is an experience. When I open this word, not only is God teaching me about my brothers and sisters from the past, like I'm going through a family album when I learn about Paul and, and Thomas and all these wonderful people who came before. And he's teaching me about his heart. He's teaching me about the church. He's teaching me about me. Your truth, your truth, the only truth you have is contained in Christ Jesus. You have no truth outside of him. I just want to know myself better, so I'm going to read a bunch of self-help books. Read this book. This is what you need. This is what you, the truth is found in here. It's in these pages. It's when I open the word that, I, that I'm convicted. It's when I open the word that God shows me errors in my thought and in my thinking, things I would never see if I didn't have his word. You got to know the truth, guys. And, and again, what happens one day if we can't meet like this? Are you prepared to teach a flock? Do you, do you know the word well enough to teach your own family? Learn it. It says, it says, raise yourself up in the faith. And then he says, pray in the spirit. And I think we read pray in the spirit and we go, oh, I don't have that gift. Yes, you do. You have that gift. Praying in the Spirit isn't about some language or something. Praying in the Spirit is about praying, thy will be done. Matter of fact, that's not even about a gift. That's about an obligation for all who belong to Christ Jesus. It's praying spirit-filled prayers. Spirit, see what I cannot see. Say what I cannot say. Uh, show me what the will of God for my life is. Pray in the Spirit. Too often my prayers, and maybe you've experienced this, my prayer is just like a list of things I want to God. It's like I'm praying to Santa Claus. It's like my prayer should be accompanied with milk and cookies or something, right? Pray in the Spirit. God, thy will. What's, what's your will for, for the church and for my family and, and for, for my life? And, and then he says, he says, look forward to the mercy of Christ Jesus. What he's saying there is wait with certainty. Th this is one of the most lost things on us, and I, it's so hard. Christ is coming back again. 
He's coming back again. And one of the things we started doing at our family is when we pray with our daughter at night, we talk about that. And I know you're like, man, that's super weird. Well, you know what? We don't look like the rest of the world, and I'm okay with that. I tell Kenna that all the time. She's like, other families don't pray about Jesus coming back again. I'm like, well, they'll be glad you did. And we don't do it in a weird way. It's like we pray, and I'm like, all right, God, um, Lord Jesus, I know that I'm going to meet you face to face, either in this world or when I leave this world. And I pray that if it's tomorrow, my heart is ready. I pray that for, for my daughter and for my wife and for my son, that if tomorrow is the day I meet you face to face, if you show up tomorrow, I'm prepared to meet you. And we begin to have this conversation and normalize this thing. Christ is coming back again. And if you believe that, it changes the way you approach the moment. It changes the way you approach your loved ones. It changes the way you approach other people. As a matter of fact, I love the last one. And finally, what should the church do? Have mercy on them. Y'all, have mercy. That should be someone's catch line. Have mercy. Like, I think, I think it is. I think it was, is that Full House? What show is that? Full House? Yeah. That's not the point, though. Have mercy on other people. Have mercy on other people. What if the church, what if you and me, what if we were known for mercy? Let me tell you something. Right now, we're not. We had a shot. We had a shot. 2019, 2020, 2021, we could have been known for mercy, and we blew it. And you blew it, and I blew it, and now we got another shot. Because the world's going to go through more difficult times, and we must become known for mercy. We must be known for kindness and love, showing mercy to people who don't agree with us. Mercy, when you post on social media, show mercy. You know, sometimes the most merciful thing you can do is zip it, lock it, and stick it in your pocket, right? Isn't that the most merciful thing? Sometimes it's mercy to throw the key away. Are you with me? And sometimes it's mercy if you know someone who doesn't know Christ. Guys, have that conversation with them and be bold. It's, it's not judgmental. It's loving. It's not judgmental to say, hey, listen, um, I know you don't have a relationship with Jesus, but i got to tell you something. He is the king of the universe, and he loves you dearly. And he desires a relationship with you. As a matter of fact, he came to earth, and he died on a cross and raised from the grave so that you could be set free. It's not, it's not kindness to walk away from someone who doesn't know Christ. Sometimes mercy is snatching someone out of the pit. And so take those opportunities to be bold while you can. So we go them, him, we, me. And God had a word for me this week. And that's between me and God. Just he and I. I'll read you the scripture that it came from, but I won't tell you what he said. Verse 24. Now to him who is able to protect you from stumbling and to make you stand in the presence of his glory. Blameless. With great joy. To the only God, our Savior, through Christ Jesus, our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time, now, and forever. Amen. Perhaps God will speak a word to you. Open it up. Spend some time with the King. Them. Him.
you are encouraged by today's message, be sure to rate us and hit subscribe on Spotify, iTunes, or wherever you stream your podcasts. To experience other talks, videos, and live gatherings, visit us online at thegracechurch.net. And again, thanks for listening to the Grace Church Podcast.